number 3030. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Pastor James, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, writing to his congregation in the book of James, tells us that Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I have a hard time understanding that passage of Scripture says Elijah was a man just like us. Okay, I can understand. Here's a man like we are. But when it says he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain, that's not like me. Obviously, something happened in Elijah's heart and in his life that gave him great authority and power with God. He came into such an accord with the God of heaven that God could use him to intercede and to bring to pass precisely what was needed to attempt to bring revival to the land. And he attempted to do this by bringing the judgment, a judgment Elijah hoped was unto repentance. The reality is spoken of in the book of Romans, the third chapter, when the writer of the book of Romans says, there is no one righteous, not even one, not even Elijah. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become together worthless. That is also Elijah has become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. The poison of vipers is on the lips of Elijah. He was a man like we are. He was a man with the monster dragon in his heart. And you come to the story of Elijah in the 17th chapter of 1 Kings, 1 Kings 17, and it's obvious when we begin to look at this chapter that the monster had been slain in the heart of Elijah. The dragon no longer exercised his power over Elijah. Elijah had gained the victory. He was not a sinning Christian. He was not a sinning Jew. The dragon had been slain in his heart. He was set free. He was set free to hear from God. He was set free to pray. Do you ever wonder why it's so hard to pray? 
Well, frankly, it's because there's so much dragon still in us. The dragon must be slain or we will have the poison of his heart on our lips. It breaks my heart when that dragon breaks loose in my life and I begin to do and say things that are not in accord with the will of God but springing up out of the dark corners of my own heart. There is being saved by grace in Jesus Christ and the seal of the Holy Spirit. But most would agree that the dragon is still held down in the flesh. And now much time and attention has to be given to constantly keeping that dragon in place. As I read the scriptures, and we're going to be dealing with this at great length in the coming days, I do not believe it is enough to subdue the dragon, the monster, in our hearts. That dragon has to be utterly destroyed, slain, and cast out. If we're ever going to have power with God in the prayer closet. And where will that dragon be cast out? Where will that dragon be slain? That viper, where will he be slain? In our heart. The prayer closet. Where we finally get honest with our own heart and we get honest with others about our true condition and we begin to face honestly the destructiveness of our own behavior as we say things and do things that are not in line with the Spirit of God. Even though we love Jesus with all of our hearts, I can't, I can't come to this story of Elijah and just say, well, Elijah was like I am. <clears throat> no, Elijah was transformed by the power of God and that wicked dragon was utterly slain in his heart. How could he come out of complete seclusion and complete hiding? How could he come out of the prayer closet and face the king and say to the king, the words, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. How could he speak those words and have them come to pass if something miraculous had not happened in his heart? His life was threatened by what he said. And the king would soon try to find him and have him executed for treason. The dragon must be slain. In Ephesians, the second chapter, begin with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. The monster ruled. 
you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, until we're willing to recognize our deadness, until we're willing to begin to deal honestly and forget about playing religion and playing church, until we're willing to stop and get honest with God and with ourselves and with each other, about the true monster, the nature of the monster that dwells within. See, it was not, it was not King Ahab that Elijah needed to fear. It was God Elijah needed to fear. He was dealing with the God of heaven who could shut up the heavens and stop the life-giving rain. Elijah should fear God. Ahab could not close the skies up. The monster has to be dealt with in our own heart. We should not be fearing what others will think. We should be fearing the Almighty God who can dry up the rain that gives us life sustenance. Your life today is in the hand of Almighty God. He is the one to fear. We must repent. We must go to Christ Jesus. We must repent and believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and that by his blood he has the power to slay the monster. So many of you listening to this broadcast are cultural Christians. You go to church, you call yourself a Christian, but you've never gone all the way. The monster still lies in your heart. It still rises up regularly. You know what I'm speaking of. But if we salve our hearts with our pretty little Christian faith and our pride in saying, I'm saved, and in our piety, neglect the monster, it will consume us. We must repent if we are going to be like Elijah. I am not at all interested in knowing, frankly, that Elijah was like me. I want to be like Elijah. I want to have the monster utterly slain in my own heart. I don't want to fight against an inner enemy any longer. I want to be entirely sanctified and made holy. I'm standing by faith for that work of grace to be accomplished in my heart, where the old man of the carnal nature is utterly destroyed in my being, 
Now, I know I'm speaking foolishness to some of you because your theological belief is that you will always be a sinner, that you can never have the victory over this monster that dwells within. And you are merrily going down the road saying, I'm saved and the monster is still ruling your life. Or some of you, the monster is no longer ruling your life. He is no longer ruling my life. I am utterly given over to Jesus, but now I am asking to have that monster totally destroyed and removed from my heart. Do you believe that Jesus Christ, by the power of the blood, regardless of the theology you've been taught, do you believe that Jesus' blood has all the power necessary to break the monster's back and to cast him out of your life? I do. I must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, I have the seal of the Holy Spirit, but I have not been filled by the Holy Spirit. One of the most wonderful and godly men I've known in my life was Pastor David Wilkerson from the Times Square Church in New York City. He was my pastor. And we were speaking on the telephone. And I said, Brother David, for that's what I called him, Brother David, I need to come to New York and take some time with you. He said, tell me what you're thinking. I said, I need to come to New York City and have you lay hands on me and anoint me with oil and pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit to come into my life. He paused a few moments. And then very humbly he said, Ray. He usually called me Brother Ray. This time it was just Ray. You're welcome to come. I will enjoy spending time with you. But I cannot anoint you with oil and have you filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost power. He said, I cannot do that because I don't have it either. Now, this is one of the most powerful godly men in the modern Christian church. I said, then what am I to do? He said, go in the anointing you have and constantly cry out for more. Well, I didn't like his answer. <clears throat> Pardon me. I wanted him to simply lay hands on me and pray the power of the Holy Spirit over my life. And then he went further. He said, I know of no man or woman in America who has the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost power. I know of none. So he said, you must do the same thing I'm doing. 
you must cry out daily for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and we will trust him to come in power in his own time. Reminds me of a very good friend of Pastor David's. He often spoke of him. A man by the name of Leonard Ravenhill. They were neighbors in Texas before Brother David came to New York City to open the Times Square Church. Leonard Ravenhill, a mighty man of God, a mighty evangelist, a confronter of men in their sin, the greatest sorrow of his heart was that revival seemed to tarry in America. He prayed day after day and year after year for revival to come to America. And he never saw his prayer answered, and he now is with the Lord. I've been standing by faith and praying now for over 40 years for the fullness of the power of revival and the Holy Spirit in America. I saw only one small touch of revival in high school that was short-lived, and then I saw another just small refreshing in what we know as the Jesus movement. We must have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We must cry aloud like Elijah, hidden away, that the monster would be utterly slain, that the old nature would be utterly destroyed, as Scripture puts it, and removed from our hearts. Nowhere in the Scripture does it teach that we must continue under the domination or even in the presence of the old man and the old nature. Yes, Satan will come always to tempt, but it would not be an inward tempting. It would be only from an outside source. It would be from the dragon himself, angry that his presence has been removed totally from the heart of a Christian. Please hear what I'm trying to say to you. There are heights in Jesus Christ that we have not even yet begun to imagine that are available to us. They were available to Elijah, a man like we are. And now we must become men and women like Elijah. We must have that dragon slain in our hearts, and we must be raised up and seated with Jesus Christ in heavenly realms, not in theology, not in theory, but in actual practice and reality. That's where Elijah was seated in the heavenly realms. Because the monster had been slain, the dragon had been cast out of his heart. You know today, without my even speaking it, you know the sin of your heart. You know the pride of your life. You know the lust of your flesh. All of us do. 
Now you can put it down. You can be strong and overcome it by the blood of Jesus. But I want to tell you today, that's not enough. It must be totally, utterly removed from our hearts. We are to be dressed in fine linen, spotless, without blemish before Jesus Christ. And as long as that demon dwells yet within our soul, there is a blemish in our character. I want to be washed and made clean in the blood of Jesus. I want want no fellowship with the dragon nature of the serpent. I don't want any venom of his heart upon my lips or in my actions or even hidden away in a secret chamber of my heart that is locked I want him out. I want him gone. I want Jesus. This passage in Ephesians continues. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts, and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. By nature, we were kin of the dragon of the viper we've learned to plaster that over and to wash up and clean up some of us clean up pretty good on the outside don't we but cold and deadly and broken in that secret inner chamber of our heart. Bitter, angry. The root of bitterness can go deep into the soul. It must be utterly removed and broken and destroyed. I had a tree. A friend of mine had a tree and he needed my help in cutting it down. And so it was a huge tree over a hundred feet tall a wide girth he figured out exactly where he wanted it to fall and then we went to work on that tree the roar of the chainsaw cutting into that tree notching it and then positioning it for the proper fall fell exactly where we wanted it to fall. And then we went to work, both of us with chainsaws, taking off the limbs 
dragging them out into the woods and then sawing up the log, letting it sit to dry so that we could later prepare it for the fireplace. But there was yet a stump. He said, our chainsaw, take that stump out, Ray. I only know one way to get it removed. He said, I'm going to have to call a company to come in and they'll grind it out. And he called a company and they came out to the house and they ground that stump down deep into the soil. And then they put a liquid on it that would totally rot that stump out, kill it. And then he covered that area with soil and he planted his grass. You could never tell that that stump had ever been there. It was ground out. It was killed to the very root. And the bugs feasted on it as it rotted. Sin has to be ground out. And it can only be done by Jesus Christ. It has to be utterly, totally, completely removed. It's the work of the Holy Spirit as he comes to us as we repent and we're honest and we uncover the true nature of our heart and we don't play games with God. We don't pretend we're something we're not. We're not satisfied to be a part of the Laodicea church, blind and naked and miserable, all the while pretending we're rich and wealthy and prospering and everything is fine. What would happen if you really got honest about who you are? Of course, my great fear is that when I get honest with someone that I've wronged, I fear that they'll scorn me and leave. I'm fearful that they will be angry and reject, cast off. I find just the opposite happens with those I love and who love me. That when one gets truly honest with one who loves you, it only deepens the friendship and the love and the relationship. That's what happens with Jesus. When we get really honest with Jesus, he doesn't cast us off. He draws us closer. We're going to have to repent. If we're going to be like Elijah, we're going to have to repent and get honest about the dragon that dwells in our hearts, in chains perhaps, shut away perhaps in some hidden room in our heart where he's not effective anymore, but he's still there. We're going to have to go to Jesus and have a time of great confession. The story of Duncan Camel in the Welsh Revival where the people have gathered in the church in the midst of the night 
And they're begging him to come and speak some word. So he climbs the the curving stairs up to the pulpit where he could begin to proclaim the gospel. And there on the floor lies a young woman. And she's crying out loud, Is there mercy for me? Is there mercy for me? Until we begin to have an inner sense of our desperate need for God's mercy because of the dragon venom that dwells in the depths of our soul will never be delivered. The mercy of God does not come to those who do not cry out for mercy. Remember the Pharisee and the publican. Jesus speaks about the Pharisee coming to pray, looking around and saying, thank God I'm not like these other people. I fast and I pray and I do this and I do that. But afar off stood a publican. He beat his breast and he wailed. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which man went down to his house justified that day? Jesus said it was the publican who went home made righteous. Made righteous, changed, transformed. The, the Pharisee went on his way in his cute little religion. I'm very concerned for America. I'm desperately concerned about the election that I see coming. I'm desperately concerned about the wickedness I see being evidenced by our president, by the Congress. Our nation is ruled by wicked men who have the venom of the devil on their lips. The corruption is rampant. The departments of government are, are rampant with corruption. Our Supreme Court is filled with corruption. Even standing up and shaking their fist in the face of God. The only possible salvation of America is that a few Christians will finally come to terms with their own coldness of heart and their own wickedness of spirit and begin to cry out to God for mercy. The Elijah Company will form as we begin to see ourselves for who we are and stop relying on our formalized, institutional, dead religion. Oh, I'm a Baptist. Oh, I'm an Anglican. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a, I'm a non-denominational. What? We're not called to be Baptists or Anglicans or Catholics. We're not called to be non-denominationalists or independents. We're called to be Christians. You think the rituals of this season for 
the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church or the Presbyterian Church, do you think that that will save you? Do you think reading your little prayer book is going to do anything to save your soul? Are you kidding me? All it's doing is putting a binky in your mouth and you're emotionally satisfied because you can suck on it. But there's no milk of the Spirit in it. God has stopped the rain in America. The rain of the Spirit is gone. We are dry and dead, ready to be blown away because the venom of the viper is still within us, still on our lips. We are not like Elijah. That will not change until we do the same thing that Elijah did. The Elijah company will not form until we go into the secret recesses of the prayer closet and begin to repent of the coldness of heart, until we begin to repent of our own ambition, our own sentimentality, our own comforts. If ever there was a time when Mount Carmel needs to take place, it's now in America, but it will not happen by a political election. Donald Trump is not the savior of America. Bernie Sanders is not the savior of America or any of the other politicians. Jesus alone is the Savior, and he alone can bring the refreshings that came upon this nation before we were even formed that resulted in the great struggle against England for independence, that great struggle that consumed us in the writing of the Declaration of Independence and in the Constitution. All of that was done out of the Groundwork that was raised by Jonathan Edwards, by George Whitfield, by other great preachers of the gospel, saying, Repent, go to Christ, be saved by the power of the Holy Spirit, get honest with God, get honest with yourself, get honest with your family. Stop watching the television. Turn off the foolishness. Stop lusting after the world's entertainment and set aside time to begin to cry out to God that he could show you the true condition of your wicked heart. You think some outward manifestation of your behavior that's acceptable to the culture of America is going to be acceptable before a holy and righteous God? Are you kidding me? Really? Do you think that? Do you think you're going to be saved because you adhere to some list of doctrinal positions? Do you think you're going to be saved because you go take communion once a week or once a month? Are you serious? Are you brain dead? It's time to repent. It's time to get serious with God. It's time to recognize that we're not here to be comfortable or happy. We're here to be holy and righteous. 
We're going to lose America, my brothers and sisters. We are going to weep before God because we've lost America and we've lost our families. We've lost our living. We're dying because of sin and the judgments of God unto destruction. I'm pleading with you, join me in beginning to cry out in repentance before God that he would have mercy upon America once more. That in his great love for us, he would raise us up with Christ and seat us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God only wants to express his kindness to us. He loves us with passion that caused him to die on Calvary's tree. This is not some game. I want to be like Elijah. But if I'm going to be like Elijah, I'm going to have to do what Elijah did, shut myself away in the prayer closet. Stop trying to be somebody. Stop trying to be important. Stop judging. Stop, stop, stop. Get to Jesus. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. I want you to notice that it was not until he had spoken that word that the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith ravine east of the Jordan, for you will drink from the brook and I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. God's provision will come from the hand of God if we've been in the prayer closet and we've repented. And God has shown us his mercy. We're going to have to ask the Lord to bring judgments under repentance upon our own lives. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. You will not learn obedience to Jesus. You will not grow in the prayer closet if there is no suffering in your life. bitter, poisonous root of the dragon has to be removed. And the only way it can be removed is for us to recognize we can no longer depend upon ourselves or our resources we must cast ourselves in repentance entirely upon Jesus Christ with great humility, with earnestness. 
we must inconvenience ourselves and begin to live lives of simplicity and discipline. Don't those words sound quaint in modern America? We can't even have a simple telephone. Everything is complex. Nothing is simple anymore. Simple is good. Simple is good. It's time to walk in discipline where we regularly do the same thing regardless of what the complex demands of everyone around us may or may not be. Time for Jesus. Time for reading the word. Time for humbling our hearts before God. Time for seeking after him with all of our heart. Those two words must come together in a sacred harmony in our hearts. Simplicity and discipline. But that will require us to give up our ambitions. It will require us to be focused with one central focus. Repentance and going to Jesus. The simplicity and the discipline remove from our hearts the illusion of salvation while continuing to walk in all of the confusion of the devil. With Jesus, things are very simple. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. You serve Jesus or you serve the devil. It's that simple. There is no middle ground. There's no twilight zone you can dwell in. You either dwell in the darkness or you dwell in the light. And the invitation of Scripture is to come into the light. Elijah came into the light so that he could hear the Lord God of heaven saying, Go to Ahab. This is the word you're to speak. Without any word being spoken of protection or deliverance, he had to risk his life. He had to lay it on the line. And then the provision of God came. But it was not the Hilton or the Hyatt, or the Ritz-Carlton that he got to move to. He moved to a brook, a little place where water was still flowing. And day by day, as the sun burnt down, the water began to disappear. And one morning when he awakened and he shook out his robe that he'd been sleeping in, 
he saw that there was no longer any water in the brook Cherith. He had not taken himself to the brook Cherith. God had taken him there. And the ravens fed him morning and evening. But the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And he sat at the brook, dried up. What should he do? Should he go home? Surely Ahab would kill him. Where's he to go? First Kings 17, verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So thirsty, he begins the journey at the command of God. And what's so interesting is that he is, he is going to the home area of Jezebel. Jezebel will not think of looking for, a, for Elijah in her home. It's called hiding in plain sight. We know from Scripture that Ahab and Jezebel searched the whole land and even foreign lands, but nobody thought he would have the courage or the stupidity to go to her home country. But that's exactly what God did. Now, please, we're almost out of time again today. If you'd like to call, I'd like to, to pray with you. If this word has touched your heart and you know that you need to get to Jesus, I'd like to pray with you. The number is 877 877-534-0780. 877-534-0780. You're welcome to call now. I'm, I'm in studio, and I'm waiting on your call. Now, while I wait, I'm going to give you some information. I'm going to give you some good news. Yesterday, I shared with you that we were 2000, uh, $2,600 short of where we need to be for radio for this month. And we're coming, we're in the last week of the month. And I shared with you that a pledge of $1,000 had been made. Well, I want to tell you that pledge arrived yesterday at the post office. Another brother called in a pledge for $200. And another brother sent a check for $30. So you can see, the Lord is answering our cry that he would provide money for radio for this month. We're still short. Um, we're $1,400 short. I'd like not to take a whole day. I'd like to be able to continue teaching on Elijah 
we can take a whole day for offertory if we need to. But I would ask, please, would you pray about what Jesus would have you to do? And I thank many of you who have already contributed, or we'd be a lot further behind. I thank many of you who have sent your gifts of tithes and offerings. But we need to finish this up so that we can continue next month. I only go month to month. I've told the radio station I will not go in debt. Either the money is there or I must leave the air. So I trust Jesus each month to bring the necessary finances for us. Okay, let me give you the address very quickly and then we're going to take a call from Alex. It's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, it's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. We have a call asking for prayer. Alex, welcome. How can I pray for you? Yes, Brother Ray. Um, I'm requesting prayer. Uh, I find myself getting a little bitter because of circumstances um, that I believe I did not create, but I am responsible how I deal with the um, circumstances, and I and um, I find I've fallen short. So I just request prayer. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, Alex knows the only place he can go to have bitterness removed is at your throne. For you said that you would forgive him according to the way he forgives others. And he's been ill-treated. It was not of his doing. And so anger and bitterness rises up in his heart. Lord, I'm praying right now for my brother Alex that you would come in sovereign power and totally uncover for him the root of this bitterness that is grounded in pride and in self. And I ask that you would come and deal with that now in the name of Jesus. I ask that you would cut off that root that, Lord, you would totally remove it from his heart and bring the sweetness of your presence, that he would quickly forgive them, for they cannot pay him what they owe him. And so, Lord, I ask that he would now be given the grace to forgive and to cut off that root of bitterness. And now that he knows that exists in his spirit, I ask that you would call him into the prayer closet to deal with it until it is absolutely dealt with to the very bottom. Lord, I thank you for my brother. I ask your precious blessing upon him today. I ask you to strengthen and encourage his heart on this journey. But I ask you to call him into the prayer closet. Don't let him live with any bitterness in his heart, but deal to the bottom and let your peace and joy enter his heart. I pray in your name, Jesus, and by your blood. Amen. Thank God bless you, Alex. Thank you, brother. 
You're welcome. Thank you. God bless God you. God bless you. Bye. Bye. This root of bitterness is so vital that it be dealt with. It will spoil every part of our heart, and it will keep us out of the prayer closet in our anger. God can handle whatever you feel. All he wants you to do is be honest. He will not condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He will not condemn you. But he wants to get to the very bottom of it, and he wants to remove it from your heart. He loves you. And if we're going to be a part of an Elijah company, we're going to have to be like Elijah. We're going to have to pray. We're going to have to repent and go to Jesus and be saved by the Holy Spirit as he changes us and transforms us and totally destroys that monster dragon that wants to continue to dwell within. Let's pray together. Lord, let your people today be called, convicted, and sent to the prayer closet. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. You're welcome to come. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll hear this message there. It's both a video or a podcast and many other resources to help you in your journey with Jesus. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'm praying for you and for us. I'll talk to you soon. I'm Consumer Investigator.